Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 160. I'm your host, Derek Moore. This week, we're going to be talking about inflation. No surprise, it's been in the news quite a bit. But really, it's a matter of, there's a lot of misconceptions. I don't want to call it uh, misconceptions. Yeah, probably that. And some perspective on this. And I think some of the things I've been hearing about, hey, you know, when inflation goes down, prices will go down. That's not necessarily the case. But I want to start out this discussion with a, an interesting point. I, I hope it, it will be interesting to, uh, to people. And it's this. And you might wonder, why, why are you even saying that? Well, in 1982, the cost for a 10-minute phone call from New York City to Los Angeles was $5.15. In inflation-adjusted dollars, meaning accounting for inflation and putting it, you know, if that was today... What is it in today's dollars? $15.16. Could you imagine? That's how much it would cost to pick up the phone and for 10 minutes from New York City to Los Angeles, that's how much it would cost you. So inflation's high right now, and I'm going to get into that. There's no doubt about it. But I think it's an important point to remember that not everything goes up over time. Not everything continues to get more expensive. And in some areas, we have deflation. And there's a lot that goes into the reason why long distance rates used to be that high. Um, If you remember back, or if you don't remember back then, we had really one telephone company, uh, pretty much AT&T. And you you went, you got your telephone from the phone company, and you had your phone service long distance and local from the phone company. And they had a monopoly on it. And if you wanted to make long-distance phone calls, that's who you went through, and the rates were the rates. And by 1999, new companies like MCI and Sprint came in. They were having price wars. Before you knew it, uh, they were lowering prices. In fact, in 1995, in today's dollars, inflation-adjusted cost of that same 10-minute phone call was only $4.19. Now, I say daytime because I don't know if you remember, but, you know, there was a difference. If you made a call during the day, it was much more expensive. And nights and weekends, it would be much less expensive. In fact, the inflation-adjusted cost for night a week, nights and weekends, New York to L.A., in today's dollars, is only $5. Uh, actually, five, yeah, $5.89 versus $15.16. I remember when there were such price wars that, You'd get a, a check in the mail from MCI and, and Sprint. And basically, if you sign the back of the check, you were authorizing them to change your long-distance service. I remember getting two checks relatively at the same time. I signed a bolt, sent them in. I didn't know who was going to be my long-distance carrier. But I got to uh, reap the benefits of competition and price wars. In fact, if you look at here, – here's another interesting thing. You know, over time, when we talk about just this idea of things go up all the time, there's a broad distinction between certain items uh, like college tuition and fees. Those are those continue to go up. 
you know, food and beverage has gone up over the years, but not as much as uh, college tuition. Medical care has gone up. But then you look at other things like TVs. TVs have massive deflation over the years. In fact, TVs, we know, keep getting better and the cost goes down. You probably remember the first time you bought a, a flat screen TV. It was quite expensive. So cell phone service, things like phones and accessories. I mean, we were just talking about long distance phones. Think about that. 10 minutes, $15.16 in today's dollars, you know, uh, brought forward from 1982. And now, I mean, a lot of people have cell phone plans, what, like 30 to $40 a month, unlimited calling. Plus that includes the internet and texting and all that stuff. So not everything goes up. But we know that inflation on a year-over-year basis is high. We know that, according to the uh, Cleveland Fed, uh, the inflation now cast, I'll type this in just to give you an updated number here. Uh, when we get the, the March numbers that are supposed to come out in April, so they'll be released in April, but for the March numbers, the expectation is about 1.1% month-over-month increase in the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, and on a year-over-year basis, it's about 8.4%. So some people think it's going to go higher. Some people don't think it's going to go higher. The, the main reason is the, the jump in oil prices. But uh, it's, it's higher now. It's less than transitory, and it's less than temporary. So, But let's talk about a few of the, the misnomers about inflation, misconceptions, and you know, get into a couple things to really help you understand and frame the discussion. The first thing I want to talk about is the idea that, okay, inflation's high right now. And some people said, well, I think it's going to come back down. And, you know, but coming back down doesn't mean prices go down. It doesn't necessarily mean prices go back down to what they were. Over time, we know that, you know, the last time we had, uh, maybe some deflation. Uh, if you look at September of 08, when the CPI, of course, the consumer price index, think about, a, think about it as a grocery basket, but in that basket, you have everything like used cars, uh, gas prices, salmon, soup, the whole, the whole nine yards right in this basket. And what does the basket cost? Well, September of 08, it was 218.87. Uh, I'll round it up two point, yeah, 218.88, let's call it. And then by December of 08, we were in a recession. Of course, uh, 2008, 2009, the Great Recession, we had deflation. It went down to 211.4. But you know what? Uh, it, it took a little bit, and that was a, a pretty big recession. But eventually, by 2010, it was up higher than it was in 2008. And that's really sort of the, the outlier. Most times, um, you know, we we definitely have a situation where inflation just keeps going up over time. And so my point is that, you know, even if we look at the late 70s and early 80s when we had a lot of, you know, pretty good inflation back then, it's not like that the CPI went back down. And so I just want to make that point that when they say inflation's going back down, it's not that prices are going to go back down. It's the rate of increase. The rate of increase in the price of things, that basket, 
is actually going to subside. So it will increase at a slower pace than it is right now. That's kind of what they're, they're dealing with. And a couple of you might be thinking, well, how did I do that inflation adjustment when I was talking about that $15.16, 1982, New York to LA 10-minute phone call? Well, the trick is what you have to do is, uh, and I'll put a link to it, the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis or FRED, if you're Googling. Uh, FRED, you can find out the CPI, uh, price index for all urban consumers, all items, U.S. city average. And this gives you the amount what the CPI index is, you know, currently and what it was in prior years. So in 1982, it was 96.53 about. That was the cost of the back basket. The most recent numbers we have is February of this year. I just said, you know, we'll get a release in April of March. It was 284.18. To in inflation adjust something, you take the current CPI divided by the year uh, the CPI in the year that you're comparing it to, so here 2.84 and change divided by 96 and change, it's about 2.95 or so. So if you have a price in 1982, you take that, the 2.95, times that price, and voila, that's how you get your inflation adjustment. And it goes the other way too. Uh, you can do a price today and equate it, inflation adjusted back in time, so, hey, if something costs 20 bucks today and we go back to 1940, what would have been the price? And that's why a lot of people are like, yeah, in my day, I used to walk uphill 20 miles in the snow to go to the movies and it was 50 cents. Right. But you got to inflation adjust that. So, but I think that's one of the, the misnomers though, getting back to that idea that inflation going down doesn't necessarily prices going down. And so the prices are embedded, and that's one of the, the reasons why inflation is destructive, because it lessens, lessens purchasing power over time. And once the, the prices are in, a lot of times that's it. You know, people adjust to higher prices. So I wanted to go through that, and I think that's, that's misconception number, number one. Um, number two is that low interest rates alone cause inflation. And this one, I mean, look, I, I think debt and deficits matter. I thought they mattered in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. And sometimes they matter when they matter. The fact that the Federal Reserve has kept interest rates really low over a long period of time doesn't necessarily mean that that caused inflation. Uh, we've had, I mean, they've been struggling to keep with a 2% average over time. And it wasn't until this recent period that inflation is higher. So low interest rates on their own don't necessarily cause inflation. Um, you could make the argument that assets, things like equities, that's stocks, and housing, uh, they do benefit from low interest rates. Stocks in the one way because when you value, I mean, the stocks in theory, and I say in theory in air quotes, because the reality is stocks trade where they trade. It's supply and demand. It's mood, momentum, all that type of stuff. But in theory, when you look at a stock and you look at their expected future earnings and cash flows, you've got to discount those back down to the present. So like, hey, if we're going to make $10 billion three years from now, what's it worth in today's dollars? And the way you do that is you discount it down by some rate of interest. When interest rates are really low, future earnings and cash flows are 
are worth more in the present day. And so, yeah, if interest rates are really low, uh, that does help equities. Uh, how does it help housing? Okay, well, the first one's pretty obvious. The lower the interest rate, the less each mortgage payment will be. And so if someone can afford $2,000 and interest rates go from 10% to 2%, well, of course they can afford more house. Why? Well, because a lot of times it's about the payment. It's about the payment. Sure, the down payment matters if you have 10 or 20% of a house. Uh, but I remember I did an episode, and I'll try and link to it if I remember. And it's the idea that we, uh, although housing is up right now on an inflation-adjusted basis, and the fact that interest rates are so low, people pay less today than they did years ago. Uh, on a number of different ways that you look at it, whether it's a percentage of income, whether it's, you know, if, if my home payment and it was XYZ in 1980 and I adjusted for inflation, you know, I think it's it would be higher than it, many people are actually paying. But sure, low interest rates matter there. But the other idea is that raising rates, and I'll call this another misconception that I believe, and I could be wrong, it's just my opinion, is that raising rates alone will reduce inflation. I don't think that's the case. And, you know, I heard somebody say, well, if, if the Fed raises rates, oil prices and gasoline prices will go down. If you're a company and you are, let's say, uh, you know, financing inventory or you've got debt on the company and it's uh, whether it's revolving, I don't want to say revolving, whether it's a, a fluctuating interest rate. So basically, if interest rates go up, they want to paying more, or if they just have debt, once that comes due and they got to go to the markets and they got to refinance, higher cost of capital and cost of capital, meaning uh, all of those things I just mattered, I'm not sure how that on itself would lower inflation. In fact, you can make the argument that if a company's cost is higher, their debt service, their interest uh, cost is higher, uh, they would have to raise prices to, uh, to really you know, take, it, take that into account. So that's, that's one of the things. Um, the other thing I would say is that raising rates, does it lower oil prices? Um, this one is, to me, you got to go back to the textbook and say, a lot of time it's about supply and demand. And I think that I'm no expert in when it comes to, you know, crude oil and that specific market. But I do know how to look at what's going on. And, and uh, J.P. Morgan's Guide to the Market has a nice chart, U.S. crude oil inventories and rig count. And I can tell you that rig counts are higher than they were at the, uh, the middle of 16, 2016, that is. But they are still really low. Um, they are below where they were in 2020, 2019, 2018, 2017. And they are lower than they were back in, you know, somewhere around 2014 or so. So rig counts, meaning how many rigs are active rigs. And then the other thing is you look at inventories. And inventories, at least according to this chart I'm looking at, they, uh, it is oil inventories, how much is inventory, is lower than anywhere on this chart going back to 2013. So I think that that has to matter. 
that has to matter. Now, I did talk about on an inflation-adjusted basis, the price of oil today is actually lower than it was in 1980. It kind of shows you how big that price increase was the fact that today, even though oil is higher in price on a nominal basis, not adjusted for inflation. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think those are those definitely are big big deals. Uh, global oil uh, since or global consumption of oil since 2019 is up 2.2 uh, percent. I don't know if that's annualized or if that's a, a raw, just you know, point to point. Um, no, that is a point to point. So that's not annualized. So this was based upon what is this? Uh, millions of barrels per day. Global consumption was 100.3 million barrels per day in 2019. Today it's 102.5 million barrels per day. Uh, so a little bit of an increase. And then you look at the production. The production uh, was 100.5 million barrels per day in 2019. Today it's 103.5 million barrels per day. I don't know exactly, or this this could be a, a forecast. So there's a little asterisk in here. That would be an increase of 3%. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I don't know if interest rates on the, their own are going to bring down oil prices. I, I do think though, at some point, uh, as people are putting more money towards purchasing gas or fuel or different things, that's taking dollars out of people's pockets that could go elsewhere. So that is something to uh, to look for, for sure. And the other thing I would say with regard to uh, to prices, and, you know, there's, look, I mean, he, here's a couple of things to consider. And I think if we, if we look at a, a high level, and I've just explained, number one is, you know, how we look at inflation adjustments. We looked at that. We looked at the idea of even if inflation goes down, it doesn't mean that prices go down. It means the rate of change slows as it moves higher over time. We do know that certain areas are more apt to to have price, high, you know, rising rises, I guess, right? And other places, we've seen deflation over time. Same thing with that phone call example I gave you. Do you imagine that? Fifteen dollars to make a ten minute phone call. Today's prices—that's nuts. Look at your phone bill. How many hours do you talk on the phone every month? Look at your cell phone bill. And that's all included in the, in the price of that, right? And you get internet. What a deal. So raising rates, though, what it could do, and sometimes what it's done in the past, is it's caused a recession. And by the way, recessions don't have to be a 2008 or a 1929 variety. You can have a mild recession. And a recession, although the the back of the, the envelope version is just where you have two consecutive quarters with negative GDP growth. The NBER, National Bureau of Economic Research, I think it's research, that, what the R stands for. Uh, they have a committee and they meet and they decide, you know, hey, based on this, this is when a recession starts, this is when it ends. But back of the envelope says negative GDP growth for two quarters. And the reason why raising rates enough could in itself bring inflation down is if you cause a reduction in growth, reduction in demand, or a recession. 
I'm not saying there's going to be a recession. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in the past, uh, if you look at the late 70s, early 80s, a lot of times when we had higher inflation and then inflation dropped, it was accompanied by a recession. And, you know, we think about recessions, a lot of times everyone thinks about 08, 09, especially, you know, no one really talks about 1929 any longer. But if you think about when we've had, uh, you know, no one really remembers, the, no one calls it the Great Recession of 1990. I mean, do you remember that one? But we had a recession in 1990, and it was kind of a vanilla recession. It wasn't, you know, that, that big of a deal. Uh, 2000. Everyone knows the dot-com era, then we had 9-11, we had a, you know, a recession back then. 08, 09, certainly the one that stands out. But so, yeah, I mean, raising interest rates could cause, um, you know, it goes back to that thing. Companies, cost companies more, cost consumers more, uh, hurts demand, those types of things. And it's one of the reasons why you hear people talking right now and I don't think anybody's calling this, but you might hear the term stagflation. And stagflation is just when you have slowing growth uh, and you've got inflation. And a lot of times, although it's not the, the strict definition of stagflation, you've got a, a worsening job market. And one of the things that's really counter to that sort of trio of things is the job market. And we can, you know, obviously there's a lot of openings and that's counterintuitive to, hey, during stagflation, and again, I'm not saying we're in stagflation or we're going into one, a period of that, but you would expect people to be not only tough to get work, but then you might see job loss. So anyway, that's, that's a couple of things to look at there. And I wanted to go through just some of the, the things I've been hearing with regard to inflation. And it's also important to remember that, you know, inflation is made up a lot of different things and sometimes smaller things that cause a big change can impact the numbers. And I think it's safe to say right now, you know, m most things are going up. But for example, if I look at the 12 month percentage change from February, this is February 22, compared to February of 21, uh, commodities, less food and energy commodities. So this is used cars and trucks are up 41.2%. Think about that. Used cars and trucks up 41.2% year over year. That's a big, big increase. I mean, that almost doesn't make sense, but in in reality, one of the things we know is there's supply side stuff with the chips and everything with, with newer vehicles. So uh, substitutes, if somebody needs a car and you know, new vehicles, new vehicles, by the way, are only up 12.4%. So there's an indication of where, uh, to me, I mean, some of the supply stuff that's coming in there. If we look at medical care, medical care is up 2.5% year over year. Uh, tobacco and smoking products up 7%. Alcoholic beverages up 3.5%. Apparel up 6.6%. So 
I bring this up because it's it's sometimes there are individual things that uh, that make a difference. Um, I'll give you a couple more, like meats, poultry, and fish. And by the way, I I didn't come up with that category. That's that's sort of the BLS Bureau of Labor Statistics that and CPI. Um, but that stuff's up thirteen percent year over year. Vegetables and and fruit are up seven point six percent. So that forty percent year over year, I mean, that's that's pretty big. Um, but then other things aren't up as much. And when you have an index, uh, I'd, I'd have to look and see what the you know what percent weighting used cars and trucks have. Uh, but I can tell you that hey, look, I mean, it's. It's one of those things where it's a small amount. I mean, used cars and trucks is not 40%, like owner equivalent rents or housing. So this is something we'll have to watch. Uh, the next publication is April 12th when you'll get the March data. And just be glad you don't have to pay $15 to, to talk for 10 minutes on the phone anymore. So... We'll wrap it up here. Uh, Derek.more at zegafinancial.com is the way to get a hold of me. Uh, please send, uh, yeah, you can just send me a note if you want, or you, if you have a question, you want to know how we manage portfolios and interested in uh, having a discussion about ways that we may be able to help you there. I'm certainly uh, able to jump on a phone call with you. And then uh, if you have an idea for a future episode of the Broken Pie Chart podcast, by all means, send a note. A lot of these episodes I do are user questions or suggestions. I shouldn't say user, listener. Listener questions or suggestions. And uh, I'm appreciative of that. We continue to get people around the world listening to this, which is very nice. And uh, those people uh, and you people, you all, I should say, are appreciated and uh, glad to have you on board. So that's it for episode 160. And we'll talk to you again 